for our family movie night, Friday, May 12th, 6.30 p.m. We do snacks and stuff. It is going to be fun. So how are you guys today? Who besides, how's everybody besides Lucy? I got like a response out of Lucy. How's everybody? Whoo! You know what? If you've had a, it's always good to come back together with your church family at the end of a week. Although Sunday was historically the first day of the week. So we call it, in our culture, it's kind of the end of the week. But historically, it was the beginning of the week. But it sure is good to get together with you folks. If I've had a good week, I get to celebrate with you. If I've had a bad week, I get you guys to, to love on me and encourage me. And that's what we do for one another. We mean what we say. No matter your story, you're welcome, you're wanted, and you're loved. Even when you're having a bad day. I have a lot of people tell me, say, yeah, I, I might come to church, but my life is just a mess right now. Well, come on. Come on. What, do you think the rest of us got it figured out? I mean, I look around this room and y'all look like you got it all together. None of you yelled at nobody on the way here this morning. Um, everything is perfect. Everything's fine. You look, you look so good, but deep down inside, I know you're a mess like me, and that's okay. So we're together. So are you familiar with the five-second rule? The five-second rule? The five-second rule, you're familiar with that? Um, you... you the idea is that if you drop like a piece of food on the floor or maybe like a spoon or something and you pick it up within five seconds, like it's okay that it's not contaminated. Usually this applies to something dry, like say a tortilla chip uh, and not something wet, like a barbecue chicken wing. I probably would not pick that off the floor. Uh, don't ask me if at any point in my life I have been okay with the five second rule. Um, I think people are less okay with the five-second rule than they used to be. Rutgers University did a study and told us what we probably knew all along, that as soon as something hits the floor, it, it picks up some nasty stuff. And the longer it sits, the more nasty stuff it picks up. Now, what they failed to account for in their experiments was that the five-second rule is completely irrelevant in a home with a two-second dog. Or a two-second toddler. That's another story. So growing up, I didn't have indoor dogs. We didn't have indoor dogs. That wasn't a thing for us. I suppose that my brother and I were um, messy and destructive animals enough. So we didn't need an indoor dog. So, um, hey, we hear rescue sirens. When we hear that, guys, we always stop and we pray. So that's what we're going to do. It's God put us here. Um, Heavenly Father, we lift up. The rescue personnel going, responding to whatever is happening. We, we lift up the folks who are involved. We pray for your mercy on them. We pray for the best possible outcome. Lord, we give them to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for that, guys. That's what we do. God put us on this corner, and that's one of our ministries to our community. So I didn't know much about indoor dogs until, until we got one just a few years ago. And, uh, you know, one thing I didn't realize is how much time and trouble an indoor dog can save you when you've dropped a potato chip. You never have to bend down and pick up a dropped potato chip ever again because the dog will take care of that for you. Our last dog was blind and deaf and could still find the dropped potato chip. You just like tap your foot. No more bending over. You know, I'm in my 40s now. Don't need to bend over anymore. Just tap your foot and the blind, deaf dog would follow the vibrations 
And her sense of smell worked very well, so she would get there. And, and uh, we don't have our sweet Lily anymore. We, we have Bambino. Bambino. Would you like to see Bambino? You want to see him? Okay, sh- let's see. We have a picture of Bambino. Here he is looking very dapper after a haircut. And in the next photo, he appears a little more as he normally is, being, being a spaz. Bambino is an, is an Aussie doodle. And I've been told you can call him an Aussie poo, and we might call him a few other things as well. He's, he's a good boy. He's a smart boy, but he's still learning manners. And uh, he, we're teaching him not to beg for food at the table, uh, not to get under the table while we're eating. That is very much where he would like to be uh, for a number of reasons. He likes to lay on feet. That's a thing for him, but he also knows that under this table, you might find something good. Somebody might drop something. So he wants to be there. He's doing pretty good at that. Have you ever been so hungry that you wouldn't mind crawling under a table and waiting for something to fall? A few of you have. I probably, I usually try to eat something before it gets to that point. Um, maybe, maybe not. But okay, let me throw this out there. Have you ever been so desperate for a miracle, for help, that you would beg for God for the slightest crumb? Just, Lord, let one crumb fall from your table. I need help so bad. Just one crumb from your table, Lord. I've been there for sure. And that's just how the woman in the story from the Gospel of Mark, that's how she feels. Desperate for help. We're in Mark chapter 7, beginning of verse 24. Now this story is extra interesting because it has some surprising tension. We're going to see some themes that we are kind of living in these days. We're going to see some injustice, some unfairness, even some racial tension in the story. I know that that feels like a big issue right now, and it is. But it's been around for a long, long time. All the way back to these days and beyond. And the amazing humility of this unexpected hero of the faith is going to make us rethink what it means to trust God when the world is unfair. Have you figured that out yet? The world is unfair? It is. And some people experience even more unfairness than others. This lady in this story is going to show us that the goodness of God is greater than the unfairness of the world. That is the heart of this message. If someone asked you, what the preacher preach on? You tell them the goodness of God is greater than the unfairness of the world. And we will trust God when life is unfair. That's what this lady did. So let's read a few verses and we'll pray. Mark chapter 7 beginning at verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. We'll stop there and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. A single crumb from your table would be enough. But you want to bless us with so much more than that. I pray that you'll give us a heart to trust you even when life is very unfair. And help us learn from this lady. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Jesus, so far as we know, only traveled outside of Israel a handful of times in his whole life. This is one of those times. The region of Tyre and Sidon was, was a coastal region to the north of Israel. If you look on a map and you find Lebanon, it's like southern Lebanon. That's what it is today, Lebanon. It's surprising that Jesus would go there. Good Jewish rabbis did not go to Tyre and Sidon. It was a Gentile country. It was a pagan country. The Pharisees and other religious leaders were convinced that if you got anywhere near a Gentile or a Gentile city or a Gentile person that you were unclean, you were ceremonially unclean, you could not participate in any of the religious rituals without going through a ritual washing. Remember last week, those of you here last week, we talked about these ritual washings that the Pharisees were super into. And it wasn't just about washing your hands so they'll be clean when you eat. They washed their hands in a very ceremonial way because it made them feel like they were superior to others. It made them feel like they were extra spiritual. But at the same time, they were ignoring one of the Ten Commandments. Remember that number five, I believe it is? Uh, honor your father and mother. Have I got that right? Number five? All right, I see some heads nodding. Tell me if I'm wrong later on. Honor your father and your mother. They weren't doing that. Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy. He's like, you, you're all about washing hands, but you never wash your heart. You're all about keeping the rules, the religious rules of man, but you ignore the important things God has said. So Jesus, on the heels of this confrontation where he, he fusses at them for being so caught up in their religious rules about cleanliness, he leaves and he goes to a place they would never go because they're afraid of being unclean. He goes into this Gentile community. Now, maybe Jesus was looking for a break. It had been very busy for a long time. And these Pharisees keep bugging him. So he's going to go to a place where they will not follow. He enters the town quietly. He doesn't want, to want anyone to know he's there. And he goes into a house. Hold on. This is a Gentile city, right? Did he go into a Gentile's house? Maybe. We don't know. We don't get that information. It is possible that he went to, into the home of a Gentile. Now, some of you might be able to help me, help me find it, but I haven't been able to find in the Old Testament a very specific prohibition for a Jew going into a Gentile's house. Now, obviously, they could not partake of any foods that were unclean. They couldn't partaking any pagan behavior but to simply visit someone i you know i might have missed it somebody you help me find that if it's there so uh help me to know i do want you to see though that ethnicity and spirituality aren't the same thing being a gentile does not stop someone from being a believer jesus is not the savior for one group he's not the savior for one nation or one ethnicity or one race that's good news for you and I, it's good news for the first people to receive this. We're pretty sure that the Gospel of Mark was originally distributed to the Roman believers. These Roman believers were Gentiles, which is to say they weren't Jewish. They were non-Jewish. And virtually all of them, if, if Jesus was only the Savior for the Jews, virtually all of these folks who first received the Gospel of Mark would have been out of luck. So it's good news that we hear that Jesus doesn't mind visiting the Gentiles. Hey, good news for us, too. 
Because most likely, by and large, virtually everyone who hears this message, either live on a recording, is probably not Jewish, which is to say, a Gentile. So keep all of this in mind, right? All right, because Jesus is going to say some stuff, and it's going to, when you get it in context, you're like, wait a minute, is Jesus being a little, you know, is he, is he disrespecting someone's ethnicity here? Is he disrespecting someone's race? But keep this in mind. Jesus went against the social and religious conventions of his time by going to a Gentile city and possibly entering a Gentile home. That is the context for what's about to go down. So they're in this house. They're probably talking. They're probably eating. They're just doing the things that you do when someone visits. And a lady busts in the house uninvited. Who is this lady? Well, she was an other, so to speak, in the fullest sense. This was a, a triply marginalized person. She was a woman, number one. And in that time and in that place, unrelated men and women did not interact. And it was considered highly inappropriate for a woman to approach a rabbi, a religious teacher, and interact. It just was not done. It was culturally unacceptable. Um, she was a Gentile. She wasn't Jewish. Um, and for a lot of the Jewish folks living in Israel at that time, they would have nothing at all to do with the Gentiles. They were considered unclean, and, and they had some really not nice names. And we're going to see one of them later. And she was a Syrophoenician, she's called, a Syrophoenician. And Mark also calls her a Greek. Now, please understand, when Mark calls her a Greek, that doesn't mean she's from Greece. That is a, a blanket term. And it would apply to someone who is not Jewish and to the Roman audience, someone who's not Roman. She was you know, something else entirely. She, she didn't fit into the, the dominant groups. Uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us the same story in chapter 15, and he calls her a Canaanite. You ever read the Old Testament? Were the Canaanites the good guys or the bad guys? Bad guys, big time. They were the historic enemies of Israel. They're, they were always fighting with Israel. So this lady was not the person who would typically approach a Jewish rabbi. She Three different ways. It was a no-no for her to visit. Plus, she's busting in someone's house. Yeah, she, it's, she's pulling a and e and all kinds of things. It's a problem. So this is a very tense situation here. In our time and culture, we would pick up on some of this, like someone coming into your house uninvited, obviously a problem, but we would not pick up on all of it. Now, I grew up seeing these Renaissance paintings of Jesus, and like the, the coffee table Bible version uh, painting of Jesus. And very good artwork. But we do need to understand that Jesus was not some white dude with pink cheeks and wavy, sandy blonde hair. That's not what Jesus looked like. He was a Middle Eastern Jew, which means he had dark brown hair. He had dark brown eyes. And he had olive or brown skin. He looked like he was from the Middle East. He would have looked... Very much like this lady who would have had dark brown hair, dark brown eyes, similar complexion. For someone living in 2023 America who doesn't have a connection to that part of the world, if we were to jump in the Wayback Machine and get dropped off there 
in a time machine and we looked at Jesus and we looked at this lady, we might not understand that they were ethnically and culturally very different. They might look a lot the same to us unless we're familiar with that part of the world. We wouldn't know the difference. But the people in the story knew the difference. And they felt the difference very, very strongly. And there's an undeniable element of racial tension here. And it's about to get uncomfortable. So this woman comes in the house uninvited. And she is shouting. Matthew's gospel makes it clear. She's just shouting all the time. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, 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 please. She said, I need help for my daughter who's afflicted with an evil spirit. Now, the whole evil spirit subject, that, that is something we could cover in a message by itself. I've talked about that before, and you can kind of backtrack through some of our old messages and find that. But for today, the important thing maybe to realize it, or to remember is this woman's daughter had an incurable problem. She needed a miracle. She needed a miracle this day. The woman learned that Jesus was in town. She rushed to him. She busted through all the racial and cultural differences and all the restraints of polite society. What would you do if you're in that house? What would you do if it was your house? Like, oh, I have Jesus in my house. This is pretty great. And somebody busts in shouting. What would you do? And I know we're super spiritual today. And we're like, we would say, greetings in the name of the Lord. I'm so glad. The Lord must have sent you here today. I bet you're here to see Jesus. Well, he's right over here. See the guy with pink cheeks and sandy wavy blonde hair? He's sitting beside Jesus because Jesus don't look like that. He looks Middle Eastern. Um, so, I mean, it would be uncomfortable, obviously, and probably the host made some sort of attempt to eject this lady. I mean, that would be natural, right? Somebody busts in your house. You're like, get out of my house. I don't know you. Get out of my house. Uh, that would be the, the expectation. They... They probably tried to get rid of her, or at least get her to be quiet, and she would not do either. She falls at the feet of Jesus, begging him for help. And in Matthew's gospel, he gives us the actual words. Matthew fifteen twenty two, if you would, Janiah. All right, now get this. Um, when John sent me the song for this week, the new song that we learned, he, he didn't know that this quote was going to be used in the message. And I didn't tell him because I, I, wanted, him, I wanted it to be a surprise. Isn't that something? There's the Holy Spirit here. You know, we learn a song that's, that the primary repeated line is, O son of David, have mercy on me. So listen to what she says here. Matthew 15, 22. She, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. O Lord, have mercy on me. Now, wait, wait, wait. Hey, some big things are happening here. If you've been around church a long time, or, or even if you haven't, it's easy to kind of miss the significance of what she is saying. She calls him by two titles here. The first one is, Lord. That's a big deal. To call Jesus Lord is a big deal. Did most of Jesus' own countrymen, and particularly the Jewish leaders, call him Lord? Oh, no. They called him everything but that. She's recognizing him as Lord. Now, what else did she call him? Son of David. Is that a big deal? Oh, yes, it is. That is an absolute messianic title. This lady, this surprising foreign Canaanite lady, 
who busts in the door recognizes something about Jesus that very few people recognized. That he is Lord and he is Messiah. She recognized him as who he was when the Pharisees he had just left behind, the experts, the religious teachers, did not get it. She knew he was the Savior sent from God. Now, we always think we know what Jesus would do. WWJD, anybody have one of them bracelets back in the day? I have one of those bracelets back in the day. We think we know what Jesus would do. We just think Jesus would jump up and say, Oh, dear daughter, let me heal you. Let me, and let me, let me give you what you need. But he, he seems, from what I can read into this, he kind of lets us go on for a while. He doesn't immediately react. He kind of lets this, he lets us spiral. And the disciples are beginning to get frustrated and embarrassed. And they're like, Jesus, can you send her away? Send her away, Lord. Get rid of her. They interpreted his silence as disinterest in her problem. We felt that way, haven't we? We cry out to God for help. He doesn't seem to be answering. And we can interpret that as he must not care about my problem. This story tells us that is not so. If you are still waiting on God, if you're still crying out to God for help, do not give up, do not stop. Jesus may have a reason why it's not happening right away. Right, it doesn't mean he's not listening. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. Help is on the way. Jesus is going to help this woman. But not quite yet. He's going to give her a chance to demonstrate her faith. Now, I'm going to be very straightforward with you here. What Jesus is about to say to this woman could be interpreted as, as harsh. And in that time and place, it could have very well been interpreted as, as being racially charged. So don't check out of this story. Because Jesus is going to turn the prejudice on its head. And by the end, he's going to praise this woman for her faith in a way that he never praises any of his own people. So here it goes. Verse 27. Um, if you'll back it up one. Verse 27. I have to back it up a couple slides. There you go. He said to her, let the, little child, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now that just sounds kind of weird to us. Why would Jesus use that kind of imagery? Uh, if we understand what it means in that culture, though, it will make us much more comfortable. So let's, let's dig in. So the people in the house are probably eating a meal. And it was, co it was common enough for people to socialize over food. Jesus compares this woman who came in to a dog begging for food from the table. And he says the children should eat first before the dogs get the leftovers. Now, if someone said that to you, would it make you feel good? Probably not. As much as we love our sweet little dogs. As good a life as some of our sweet little dogs have. We would not want to be called a dog that is still offensive in our culture in that culture it was a much bigger deal dog was a term that some of the jews used to refer to the gentiles it was absolutely a racial slur it was absolutely used in that context they would be called a dog and and sometimes they would apply it not just to gentiles but to gentiles who were involved in very 
heavy paganism. Um, we're going to discuss the even more uncomfortable details of that some other time. But it was very much a not nice thing to say to someone. Um, they compared Gentiles, that is to say non-Jewish people, to feral dogs that roamed the streets. Not sweet little doggies, you know, that you pet. These are the ones that are dangerous. When I went to Peru, I saw some dogs like this. And buddy, you, you don't pet those dogs. They are very dangerous. And you could really get hurt. Um, roaming packs of wild dogs. That's dirty and dangerous and disease. That's what they're comparing them to. Now, let me be very clear about this. Please do hear me. The word that Jesus uses for dogs here is not that word. It is not the one for feral dogs. It is the one for like a pet dog. Big difference. But it is adjacent. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's close. He did not use the slur. Did not. But it was kind of over here beside it. And if this woman had wanted to get offended, she could have gotten offended. In this metaphor, the children at the table are the Israelites. And the little dogs are, are the Gentiles. And on the surface, it looks like Jesus is kind of being offensive. So what is going on here? Let's put it in the context of the whole story. Jesus came to be the Savior of all people. Praise Him. No matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their nationality, no matter their past. And to look down on anybody because of those things is incompatible with the gospel. The Gentiles are invited to the table. Now that being said, Jesus came to his own people first. At this point in the story, his focus is on the Jews. And after the resurrection, he's going to send his people out all over the world. And the gospel eventually made its way to a little place in rural southwest Virginia called Hillsville. The gospel made its way here. So at this point in the story, the children at the table are the Jews. The Gentiles are part of the family just as a beloved pet dog or part of the family. And that doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? But understand, things are going to change very quickly. Um, within a couple of decades of this moment, Gentile believers will be the vast majority of the believers. Not only will Gentiles have a seat at the table, they will have most of the seats at the table. So understand, this is, this is part of a timeline that is going somewhere where things are very different. What Jesus says to this woman is not a rejection. It is not an insult, but it is a test. Will she continue to believe in the goodness of God and the power of Jesus, even if Jesus says something that doesn't feel compatible? Will she dismiss him as just another one of those bigoted religious leaders from Israel? Just another person of privilege looking down on her. This was, this was a test, not a test for Jesus to see what this woman would do. He already knows. This is a test as an opportunity for the woman to show her faith. Will she believe that the goodness of God is greater than the unfairness she has experienced? Because she has experienced unfairness. What could she have done? She could have argued. She was facing injustice, prejudice. There were barriers of gender and race and culture. Even Jesus appears to be holding this woman at a distance. She could have argued for rights and respect. 
She could have taken offense. She could have taken a stand. She might even demand that Jesus apologize to her for coming kind of close to using a very offensive term. Was it right, you guys say, was it right for the Gentiles to be looked down upon? No. Was it justifiable that foreigners were treated with contempt? And a bunch of y'all better answer this one strongly. Was it acceptable that women were not given respect in that culture? Y'all ladies, I expected more. It's just, yeah, me and Duncan, we believe. We respect the ladies. And you, you, my wife is working with the kids today, and you tell her that Michael is just such a champion for women being respected and all of that stuff. None of those things were right. And she could have argued any of those things. She could have fought any of those fights, and she would have been on the right side. She could have made it her mission to demand change in that moment. Hey, let's face it. We live in a world... That is very often unfair. One of the first concepts that children learn, especially if they have siblings, is that's not fair. You felt it, I felt it, and we say, why would God let things be unfair? Well, let me tell you, God did not make an unfair world. People made the world unfair. So don't say, why would God allow this? Well, God gave us free will and we decided to do dumb things with it. And my children know my repeated phrase, and it is a law that holds true. If you do dumb things, dumb things will happen to you. Sometimes if other people do dumb things, you'll have to deal with the consequences. It's not fair. No, it's not fair. Someday Jesus is going to make things fair. Praise Him. It's going to be right someday. But right now we live in an unfair world. And when we have endured enough injustice, we can start to think that God is okay with injustice. And on the surface, it looks like Jesus is complicit in this injustice. Now, we know that's not really true. But it looks like it. It feels like it. We, Jesus came into this world so we, there can be justice and fairness and truth. But right now, in the midst of the pain... When things are really, really unfair, when you're being treated in a way that is not right, your first thought probably isn't, it's okay because deep down someday Jesus is going to set it right. It's probably like, this is not right, this is not fair. In the moment, it does not feel fair. What about this lady? Will she be able to look beyond the pain and unfairness of life and see the goodness of God? I love her response. It is so clever. It is so full of faith of all the battles that she could have fought that day that would have been good and right battles. She chose the best one. She chose something even bigger than fairness, bigger than justice. She chose her daughter. I can understand that. I got two daughters. I would choose my daughter. Verse 28. Here's how she responded. He said... Is it right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs? And she says, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat the crumbs that fall from the children's plate. <laughs> Call me a dog if you want to. 
just give me a crumb. This woman believed that even a tiny crumb of the power of Jesus was enough to save her daughter. That is faith, y'all. That is faith. Despite the barriers of race and culture and gender, despite the people yelling at her to get out, despite the unfairness of the whole thing, she chose to believe in the goodness of God. I don't know what that you are going through right now. It may feel incredibly unfair. It may feel like God himself has not given you a fair shake. And look, I'll be honest with you. I felt that. I'm supposed to be this pastor guy. And you may meet some people in this room who love the Lord very much, but if you talk to them long enough, they'll say, yes, I felt the times that God wasn't being fair with me. It's in those moments that our faith is real or not, that it proves what it is. Will you trust God even when things feel very unfair, very painful? Will you believe that God still loves you and wants what's best for you when right now in this moment, it all feels very wrong, will you? This woman did, and Jesus was impressed. Matthew's gospel tells us exactly what he said. Uh, Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Great is your faith. The, great is your faith. Do you know how many of Jesus' disciples he gave that compliment to? How many times did Jesus compliment his disciples and say, Oh, Simon Peter, great is your faith. Zero. Zero. Nobody else that we know of in the whole history of the world has been looked at by Jesus and told, Great is your faith, besides this woman and one other Gentile, a Roman centurion, the one with the sick servant. Maybe you've heard that story in Matthew chapter 8. This woman stands in a category almost by herself. Yes, she was marginalized in every way. Yes, she was in an unfair situation. Yes, she dealt with a lot of injustice. And yet Jesus said to her, great is your faith. He never gave such a high compliment to any of his disciples or anybody in Israel. This unlikely hero of the faith shows us that the goodness of God is greater than the unfairness of the world. Is there unfairness in the world? Oh, yes, there is. And if we can do something about it, let's do something about it. We won't always be able. This woman did not let it stop her. She charged right through the cultural and religious and social and racial boundaries and chose to believe in the goodness of God and the power of Jesus. She said, just give me a crumb just a crumb and jesus being who he is gave her the whole cake love that about our lord if we would just be content with a crumb he might give us the whole cake you and i we're going to experience some unfairness maybe some injustice and some folks even more but that does not mean god is not good and it does not mean that god does not love you if we will trust Him when things seem unfair, we will receive so much more than the crumbs from the table. Charles Stanley, you know him? He went to be with the Lord this past week. God did a lot of good. There's one quote, one Charles Stanley quote that has stuck with me for years and years. And it's this. Trust God and leave the consequences to Him. 
trust God and leave the consequences to him. And you might reverse it and make it equally true. In the middle of the consequences, trust God. In the middle of your situation, trust God. Even in the middle of what feels very unfair, trust God. I'm not real super good at small talk. Some of you probably have talked to me before after a service and been like, you know, Michael's a pretty good public speaker, but he's a little awkward. He's a little awkward out by the door. People will walk in at work and say, hey there, Michael, how's the world treating you? And you're supposed to say, not too bad, that's all. And you're not sp- but I don't do that because I'm awkward. I'm like, you know, the world's a little rough. Can I get a witness? If we answered honestly, how's the world treating you? Most of us would not say, well, it's been wonderful. The world brought me a new car. The world left some, some like gift certificates by my door. And I'm going to get myself some new shoes. Going to get me some Air Jordans. The world's been so good to me. If we answer honestly, we say, you know, the world's been kind of rough on me, but God is good. The world is hard, but God is good. How's the world treating you? You know what? You might be one of the lucky ones and you get some good treatment for the world from the world. Most of us don't. Some of us get very, very hard treatment from the world, but God is good. So the real question is, the question above all, will you trust God when life is unfair? That's the question. And the answer is between you and him. Will you trust God when life is unfair? Because it's going to be. Will you trust him when it's unfair? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, how do we answer that question? We know the answer has to be yes. We must trust you when life is unfair because you're the only stable thing there is. When, the, when life is hurtful and painful and trips us up, all we really have is you. And you can never be taken away from us. And I praise you for that. Lord, help us to learn from this example of this woman who really did not get fair treatment. That when we're in the midst of unfairness and injustice, we would trust you. And Lord, if you give us the opportunity to do something about unfairness and injustice, I pray you'll give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage to do what you lead us to do. God, thank you for being a loving wonderful God in the midst of an unfair world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for being a part of this today. I want to remind you of something as we go out the door. Is it, is it two Saturdays from now, Lucy? Two Saturdays from now, we're having like a, a middle school middle school girls um, like get-together thing. So middle school age girls, I know we have several who are part of our church uh, who are here from time to time. And I'm sure we would welcome folks who aren't, aren't regularly a part of our church. Absolutely. See Lucy for details on that. And uh, we're going to do some fun stuff. So, all right. That's all I got today. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Remember a movie night three Fridays from now. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed Sunday. Take care.